You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, thanks for listening, welcome to the show. It is Thursday, the 2nd of September, not in TW11 today, but down in Wells in Somerset, the smallest cathedral city where it is a little overcast and quite cool. It's going to stay dry, however, for the next few days here in England and Ireland. I'm only about five or six miles away from the very powerful training base of the multiple champion jumps trainer in the UK, Paul Nichols. And the news broke in the Daily Mail this morning that his longtime assistant trainer and nephew, Harry Derham, would branch out on his own for 2023. He would complete this season with Nichols taking him up to summer 2022. And he tells me why and about his exciting new plans in just a few moments' time in an extended interview. I'll also be discussing the controversial and much-talked-about racing league, the team competition that's run for the last six weeks. Ollie Harris, the chief marketing officer, is confident that it will return for a second season in 2022, and he talks me through some of the difficulties that he's faced along the journey, but also talks some of the highlights that he's experienced in an interview later in this edition. Jane Mangan, the RTE and Racing TV broadcaster, is my guest this morning. And before we hear from Harry Derham and Ollie Harris, Jane, we're going to talk about Irish Champions Weekend, which is now creeping ever closer. There was plenty of Irish Champions Weekend news yesterday as regards likely participants, both human and equine. Which piece of news pleased you the most? Uh, The part that we're going to have a few people there. I know a lot of people are, we must discuss and concentrate on the racing itself with Tarnawa and St. Mark's Basilica, but I have watched many press conferences with our head of government, but Michal Martin finally gave us the news that we wanted, and it looks like we're going to have some, a chorus of a crowd at Leopardstown and the Curra. What a relief, and hopefully we'll get exact numbers of that today but as for the champion stakes itself that seems to be the race that everybody discusses we often forget that there is group one races at the Curra on Sunday the matron as well but it is headlined by St. Mark's Basilica and Tarnawa that's the clash that we have it's the three-year-old colt that has taken us by storm and the filly that could still be anything so that for me is is where we're at. Aidan O'Brien gave a press conference yesterday did we learn anything new from it? I don't think I did. Uh, he said that the horse, St. Mark's Basilica, could be his sole representative in the Champion Six. That's grand. Why would you need anything else when you think you have the best horse in the race? Um, but from Aidan's press conference, I don't think I learnt a particular amount, only that hopefully St. Mark's Basilica is fit and well to take his place because it was a real disappointment that he missed the Judmont. I'm sure it's been a little bit difficult and it's not an ideal preparation for probably the Cole's biggest assignment of his career, but hopefully he gets there and we have a great race. When you and I last spoke, Jane, we talked about Point Lonsdale, Aidan O'Brien's standout two-year-old at the moment, a horse who had a verdict over reach for the moon in the Chesham Stakes at Ascot earlier in the season. You can't have been discouraged by what O'Brien was saying about Point Lonsdale. I think he described him as a chip off the old block. If he's as talented and as laid back as Australia, he'll be okay. He'll be okay, and he's already probably more... Cautious. Um, I ha- had to laugh when we were having our debate about Reach of the Moon and Point Lonsdale. Point Lonsdale, quite rightly, I think, has a, a much higher rating. Perhaps um, 
I suppose we're all going to get a little bit romantic with Reach for the Moon. Give us a winter, and we'll be uh, we'll be knighting him before the Derby. But I think Point Lonsdale, and I think uh, I'm not being unfair in saying this. The Ballydoyle two-year-old form has been questionable this season, and the fact that he has been unbeaten in his four runs, I think, further adds a further compliment to this Colt. He's been consistent. He's been he's just been awesome. The the other two-year-old race I'm really looking forward to is the Moigler. Agartha for me looked very good. I know Ger Lyons is probably going to go to the Chibley Park with Sacred Bridge, but the Gartha for Joseph O'Brien looks a very exciting filly, and I, I'll be interested to see how she shapes in the Moyglare. I'd love to see some British representatives. Doesn't look likely in some of the main races, but the Flying Five, you look like you've got a couple of arrows to fire at that. And it'll all play out in the next couple of days, but today, Thursday, is all about getting the numbers of attendance, and that's what I'm most looking forward to learning. Of course, uh, on the flat, at least British trained horses have some sort of a chance, unlike over jumps when they are routinely drubbed by their Irish counterparts. Now, the British handicappers, those men and women who decide what weights horses are going to carry in handicap races in the UK and Ireland, the British handicappers have um, have decided to, to tinker with the system uh, to try and redress the balance. What do you make of this? They have said they're being proactive I think you're being reactive. Um, Cheltenham, this goes to show that not only from a fan perspective, Cheltenham is important, but the industry almost measures itself on this. The fact that the 23-5 scoreboard has had such a reaction um, within the bodies in the sport says a lot. Uh, I was only looking last night, amongst the Irish handicap winners at Cheltenham, you had the shunter, Nearly won a grade one next time at Aintree. Belfast Banter did one win a grade one next time at Aintree. Jeff Kidder did win a grade one next time at Punchestown. And Galvin Deschamp won a grade one at Punchestown. So those were our handicap winners amongst our Cheltenham um, 23. They were subsequently grade one winners. That's the kind of competition Ireland were sending to the handicaps. Not the grade ones, the handicaps. That's the kind of quality that we have. I do agree dropping horses, particularly regressive older horses, that needs to be probably redressed in the UK. It needs to be redressed in Ireland, if I'm honest. And the analysis that they that was in, uh, in the Racing Post today suggested that there had been a £10 increase in the common rating over hurdles uh, between 2018 and 2021. So in the space of three years, the most common single rating for horses had increased 10 pounds of course there's something wrong there and it was 20 pounds over fences that obviously is not right um they can have a look they can tinker with their system and see if it improves but realistically the reason he got beaten so much in Cheltenham and the reason that Ireland had 10 of the first 11 home at Aintree is because the horses were better and that sort of talk Jane will only fire up the biggest trainers this side of the Irish Sea particularly Multiple champion Paul Nichols. An interesting news from just down the road from where I am at the moment in Ditchit is that Nichols's long-term assistant, Harry Derham, is going to branch out on his own. Uh, I've been talking to him to ask him why. Basically, Nick, it was uh, an opportunity that's presented itself. I, you know, I'm very, very happy doing what I'm doing. I love doing what I'm doing. Um, but I, I got, I got presented with an opportunity, and and I sort of, you know, I said to Paul, look, this is, this is what I've been offered, and uh, what what do you think? Really, I was I was quite keen to do it. I I love being his assistant, but um, you know there comes a time when you 
you know, you'd like to have a go on your own. Um, and, you know, even though that opportunity is a little way off yet, um, you know, it's, it's massively exciting. Uh, so I know you can't go into too many details of, say, who's given the, you the opportunity and, and exactly where it is, but just put a little bit more flesh on the bones for me. Yeah, so basically it's um, some some people that I've had a relationship with for, with for a good while now, um, some some good friends of mine, and, and you know, their, their passion is racing. Um, and they they'd like to they, they'd like to um, be be part of a racing yard, I suppose. Um, they have the they have the land to do it, which is something that you know in, in my financial position I was never going to be able to do. Um, and it, it it looked like the right chance to be able to do things properly because you know it's 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 one thing wanting to train and and you know I, I I've always wanted to, but I've been very realistic with the idea that unless you unless you're able to do it properly and have the opportunity to do it to a high standard then i uh, i didn't think there was much point in starting so um you know th- this is this is a, a chance to do things you know from a from a, a brand new purpose-built yard and um i believe and I, i've shown paul around the the site and you know he 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 sort of thought that it was a, it was a good place to do it and um that, that gave me the confidence to to, to go for it really when you were starting out as assistant trainer to Paul after your after your career as a, a rider, did you always think, yes, one day I want my name on a license? I'll be honest, Nick. I I think that that early on, I, I wasn't I wasn't thinking that far ahead. I was, I mean, for the first two years, I felt like I was drowning doing that job. Really, I, you know, it, it it takes a lot of getting used to, and there's been some really good people do it before me. So I was. I mean, God, I'm probably not much use now, but I was very, the first few years, it was just a matter of trying to get your foot in the door and work as hard as you can to try and do a good job of what you were doing. So um, to start with, no, but it, you know, as, as time goes on and you realise what, you know, what, what a passion I have for um, the, the training side of things and, and watching Paul so closely and, and how he gets the horses to perform and, and all of what goes into it is absolutely fascinating. And I suppose as I've got up, older and the more years that I've done it I've I've become increasingly fascinated with it um I love everything about it I, I love watching the horses in the mornings I love going racing I love you know there's not there's not many sides to it that I don't absolutely love so it, it you know as as time's gone on I suppose I've become more and more keen on the idea you're being very self-deprecating I think everybody knows what an enormous asset you've been to, to that stable and helping it get back to its position as the at the top of the trainers' championship, you you say that in the first two years you felt as though you were drowning. You were doing a, a pretty good impression of, of sailing serenely on the top of the water. Uh, what what do you think are the key lessons that you've learned? Uh, the key lessons from Paul, in my opinion, um, I mean, half of it is showing up because you know it. Like there are some days when you wake up and you think, God. You know, it's raining or it's five o'clock in the morning or half four and you've got to go gritting and, you know, just get it, get it, get it up and getting involved. And that last, I think, you know, everyone in racing that is, that is successful, I think, you know, you've just got to, half it is showing up and getting up in the mornings and doing your job right. And, um, I think the biggest thing from, from Paul's point of view is consistency. Um, every single day he is, he's absolutely working as hard as he can to be his best. Um, and for a man at his level, which, you know, let's be honest, he doesn't need to achieve anything out of the sport to still have that drive and to still have that hunger and desire to be a bit better than he was yesterday, I think is, 
extraordinary to be honest so that that would be my my biggest takeout is is how consistently excellent he is and um he, he demands that of all of us and i love that because you know you you wake up in the morning and you know full well what he expects from you what he wants from you um and it's just about going to do that and um i'd say that's the that's you know i mean his placement of horses is is ridiculous and and you know, you could go on and on, but I, I think that's the biggest thing. Is just his consistency of just churning out that level of performance every single day. And you talk about consistency, Harry. How important is consistency of personality when it comes to being a an effective manager of people? Oh, very important. But that I think that takes time because um, you know, obviously, um, it's. <laughs> It's very easy on a on a good day to be, you know, right, come on, everyone, this is the direction we're going and, and we're going to have a good time doing it. When, you know, maybe things didn't go quite right or there's a little bit of pressure on, then it's it's not as easy. But, um, you know, I think a bit of it, you know, I'm still I'm still pretty inexperienced, but I've been doing this job for six years now and you realise that um, everyone has to be pulling in the same direction and everyone has to be, focused on a common goal which is which is winning as much as we can and producing these horses to a really high level all the time and providing the best of care for them so if you can get everyone on the same page and everyone enjoying themselves and in, in a good environment which i think paul has created then i think you've got a real powerful thing so how is this going to progress from now so talk me through the next 18 months or so okay so basically i mean to the end of this season to, to my mind it's you know obviously it's there and it would be stupid for me to ignore it but uh, you know as I said to Paul when I started this season that this is in the back of my mind now I'm fully focused on Paul's yard and uh, all the things we've just talked about so until until Sandown that you know I will be fully committed to, to being Paul's assistant and hopefully doing a really good job after that um, I, I'm not going to take a year out but I'm going to um, be helping finalise uh, my yard and getting everything in place, getting everything ready, getting everything I need to do. Um, and Paul's, Paul's, it was sort of his idea for me to do that year because he said, you know, whilst you're with me, there's not much time to do anything else, which is absolutely right, and I wouldn't want it to be. Um, but he said, have that year to go and see all the things you need to see, go and do everything you need to do, tick all the boxes, get yourself prepared, get yourself a bit of a team built up um get yourself used to uh, where you're going to be in your surroundings and then ideally nick um you know the dream and the 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 goal and the very much the plan is to have my first runners in uh, the season start, starting in may 2023 can you give me a clue as to roughly where in the country you're going uh it's not it's not it's not it's not it's not right near pools um <laughs> as soon as i as soon as i can it's just it's just at, at the moment i I can't. I can't tell you exactly, but um, it's not on the doorstep. That's all you need to know. It's not. It's not on the do- doorstep. I, I'm moving area, but it's a you know it's a beautiful area, and I'm I'm, I'm really excited about it. Harry Derham there, uh, Jane, and uh, there, there's no reason to think he won't make a a really fine trainer. I'm very excited for him because he's he's obviously got so much experience, and he has such a benefit at uh, being in ditched for such a long time, and. It has obviously been extremely hands-on there. So I'm, I'm delighted that he's finally getting to take his jump into the ocean himself. And I'm sure he'll have lots of supporters. He's a well-established name in his own right. And there's no better springboard. I think uh, very few trainers will have started with such a benefit. 
I want to talk to you a little about an excellent column I thought written by Richard Forrestal in the uh, Racing Post today. Uh, Richie is the Irish editor and he started off by talking about an issue that Ger Lyons raised on this podcast the day before yesterday, which was the um, Irish Racehorse Trainers Association sort of petition for the return of 24-hour declarations in Ireland. Now, this can sound a little bit inside baseball, but it's a wider point that Richie's making about a rather backwards mentality on the part of the IRTA. And he opens it out to talk about their resistance to pre-race dope testing, as evidenced by Jessica Harrington's comments about Mill Isle when she brought the filly to Salisbury a couple of years ago. He compared that to France, where the first four home in a big group race in France the other day were, were all tested pre-race and it didn't seem to do them any harm. What do you make of, of Richie's central point, Jane? I, I Number one, I thought it was an extremely well-written article. Two, it was not only emphasising, just taking the one point of wanting to redress what looked like a progressive move, the 48-hour uh, declaration since COVID, but also backing it up with examples of the past um, where the the mentality uh, and the outlook of the IRTA has been selfish and old-fashioned you know open your mind to change open your mind that this is better for the sport going forward and and rather than thinking of your own benefits maybe think a little bit wider now to be honest the IRTA might not be in existence for a very much longer if their legal fees for the Chris Gordon case continues to rise because that's still pending and it's now I think in excess of a million euro in legal costs but I thought it was a well-written article and I think it will light a fire in that department that might instill a little bit of incentive and, in- and maybe change. Do, do you think it's it's about taking away a them and us mentality rather than trying to foster a collaborative approach i do think there is a maybe a a thought process where you know we are most important we have the horses without the horses you have nothing well if without the fans and without the sport the horses don't have much of an industry so you make a living we all make a living from the sport and we all need to collaborate to get the best out of our product so yeah i do think take it take a, a wider broader spectrum uh, and think like that and uh, obviously the IRTA do great work but there are parts of it where they could improve so the final leg of the much discussed racing league takes place tonight at Newcastle just to recap it was nearly two million pounds in prize money over 36 races and an additional 200,000 split between trainers staff owners and jockeys and much of that pot is still up for grabs tonight. So there's quite a lot to play for, and that won't be lost on the jockeys and, and the stable staff who will be attending these horses at Newcastle this evening. The Racing League has been much talked about, has been much debated as to whether it's a, a good thing or bad thing or an indifferent thing for the sport. Uh, Chief Marketing Officer Ollie Harris joins me now. Uh, Ollie, what over the last six weeks has pleased you the most in terms of what the Racing League has achieved? Uh, morning, Nick. I think there's a couple of things. Uh, I think from a personal point of view, obviously having been to all the meetings, I've been you know, personally really happy with 
the crowd mix and the turnout uh, you know we've done promotions for families we've had people down there it's been a great atmosphere a lot of people have bought into the team thing on the night whether they were fully engaged with it before who knows but they've all loved picking up the sort of team caps and things like that and I think from just sort of enjoying a Thursday night at the races and seeing a lot of people there, that's been, you know, very encouraging because when you start out with these sorts of ideas, you kind of wake up in the middle of the night and think, what well, if no one turns up? Um, so that's been one thing. And the other thing I think which is great uh, for the competition, again, if you've been following the narrative, um, it's great that it's gone down to the last race meeting and, you know, potentially it could go down to the very last race of 36, which kind of shows that although the team format hasn't been everyone's cup of tea, uh, as a principle, it works, and as a sort of storyline, um, it, it's worked really well. So, in theory, people should be caring more about leg six than they did about leg one, which is you know, quite a good way of measuring the effectiveness of a competition like this. Why do you think that the sport as a whole hasn't bought into the concept as much, perhaps, as you'd have liked? Well, I think that there's obviously varying opinions on what makes entertainment what it is or not. And I think in racing, and it's no criticism by any stretch, it's what the people are in it for. You know, there's a lot of people that are really in this sport because they like pouring over the form and looking into the horses and the bloodlines and all that sort of thing. And of course, that points very specifically to the group level. And, you know, we're not at that. And that's not really what we've been talking about. And I think that, you know, it just doesn't suit everyone. Uh, and I get that. We've said it from the beginning. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Um, what we were trying to do was not just simplify the game because I don't think it does necessarily simplify it. We were trying to just add something to the calendar that was a bit different that did allow people from outside of racing to get into it in a fairly simple way by either following a team or picking a favourite jockey. You know, obviously it's our money invested. We're not taking money from the private from the public purse. We're not robbing any other uh, sort of forms of sponsorship to bring the money in. So uh, we always thought we were doing something fairly inoffensive. But, you know, there have been a few people that have been deeply offended by it, uh, to which I apologise. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's it's just obviously not everyone's cup of tea. Do you think you will get a second season? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, it's all down to... Um, you know, the same thing as when we, for, I mean, as you, you know, we came up with this idea some years ago. Uh, and at the time, you know, many people said, oh, that sounds fun. Let's see if it works. And then we announced, uh, you know, a load of trainers and no one batted an eyelid. They said, oh, yeah, let's see if that really works. Then when we announced the prize money and put it in the bank and got the fixtures, suddenly everyone's, you know, sort of eyes open a bit. And so it's the same for the second year. Um, if we commit to the prize money, uh, we'll obviously look at the fixture structure whether we can sort of jiggle the calendar around a bit, whether we condense it, whether we add some tracks, whether we take away. There's a whole bunch of things to look at, but second year very much on the radar, yeah. Now, two of the two of the issues that I can see that you've had to contend with, and I appreciate these aren't really of your own making necessarily, is that you've run out of horses and you haven't had the jockeys that you wanted at your disposal at all times. Are there ways that you can circumvent those issues or solve those problems? Certainly, the squad of 30 horses proved to be not enough. Um, and, you know, funnily enough, we took advice from so many different people, mainly from the training ranks, on 
how many horses one would need if they had three or four trainers or, and so on. And we just need more horses. So yes, uh, to think of whether we go up to 40, whether we have a slightly, you know, maybe even an unlimited squad, I don't know. There's a bunch of ideas on the table. Uh, we'll, we'll pour over the data and see what makes the most sense. And we'll go back to the trainers and ask them. With regards to the jockeys, well, you know, we the idea was to pick three jockeys a team. We knew that we'd have to bring in subs for, for various reasons. Uh, what has been slightly outside of our control are if, if owners of, of horses outside of the racing league decide they want a jockey on a day and they've got a relationship with them, you know, they kind of pull rank. Uh, and likewise, if there are other trainers that want one of the jockeys designated for racing league to go and do something in France at the last minute or whatever, then they, they pull rank on it. And, you know, we're certainly not going to kind of antagonise anyone by getting into arguments over it. So... Well, you know, we can't contractually make jockeys ride at racing league meetings only on a Thursday. So, um, although that would be handy, <laughs> we can't actually do that. So, you know, we kind of have to leave it down to the jockeys, their agents and the trainers to to sort that out. Now, how we do it next year, maybe we just have to go with a group that we know are going to be deeply committed to it and will show up every Thursday. Um, but it's been really great for me to see people like Louis Stewart, Safi, Laura Pearson, um, Jack Mitchell getting loads of rides and kind of getting into the spotlight a bit, doing some TV stuff. So, you know, it's not all bad. Yes, we've missed out on Holly and Oshie, for sure, and Jim, uh, which has, has been disappointing because they're all big fans of it at the beginning. But for whatever reason, and there are numerous reasons which we won't go into, they've not been able to make the Thursday evenings. Um, I mean, you can go into it if you want to. Well, I think that there's a, you know, there's a few people that don't, love the racing league concept who aren't involved who you know i don't think purposefully but you know if, if there's a trainer out there who's not involved in racing league and they really want one of those jockeys to do something on a thursday or even the following morning somewhere else many miles away you know they're not going to necessarily take in the considerations of the racing league into account so you know other people have just booked them up um and on occasion that's sort of scuppered our plans and of course, there are some there are some owners who have relationships with jockeys for specific reasons, whether it's you know riding a particular horse or whatever. And you know we can't really legislate for that. Um, but yeah, there, there, there've been a few obstacles, put it that way. Um, and it's a shame because Oshin was a big supporter of the whole thing. Holly was very keen on it. Uh, Jim was you know also very supportive of the idea. But you know the sort of narrow six weeks and the specific Thursday night thing. And uh-huh. of course, the jockey's only been able to do one meeting. Um, has has affected that. So next year, maybe we have to have uh, again a bigger pool of jockeys, um, or, or maybe we say to people that you have to commit to at least one meeting, otherwise, you know, you can't ride. I don't know. Well, again, a whole load of options for us there. So you're working your way through quite a lot of solutions here. You need more horses. You need to be more flexible with the jockeys. You might need to enfranchise more people. You need a, a cleaner window to showcase your your work because you're at the moment completely overshadowed by the Goodwoods and Yorks and so forth. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I've explained to a few people, the fixture list kind of works the way it works and it's a bit awkward for us. One of our, not stipulations, but one of our requests were that uh, our TV show was, was live and uninterrupted for the, the full two and a half hours or whatever. And that hasn't worked out perfectly, but it meant that some other fixtures had to move around in the evening. Uh, so it was quite complicated to get the six weeks in. And so as a result, those were the dates that we got. And obviously kicking off against Goodwood wasn't ideal by any means, but that was kind of the way the cookie crumbled. So, 
We'll go back to the BHA, um, where we'll ask their opinion on, on all sorts of things. Uh, but you're right, you know, we need to make it a bit louder. Um, we need to sort of... And I think almost we have to ignore the... Not ignore, because we take all the criticism on board, and I really do, I write everything down. Um, but I think we kind of have to plough our own furrow a bit and just sort of forge ahead with what we believe will work. Um, but, you know, again, taking all the advice on board and absolutely would like a much clearer window to market it, maybe a shorter window, maybe two meetings a week. I'm not sure yet. But isn't the key for you, Ollie, to distinguish between positive, constructive advice, suggestions, collaboration from, from people who are trying to help uh, from people just taking a pot shop? Yeah, it's easier said than done, though, isn't it? Because it's the same, whether they're important voices or not, it's the same ones. And, you know, I could have posted anything, you know, in the last few weeks, and it would have been the same people finding fault with it. And I think that that gets a bit dull after a while. And, you know, I've never really understood the energy it takes for people to get online and be so angry about something they're not sort of involved in. But uh, yes, is the answer. I really, and one thing I do find odd though, is, is how offensive it has been to some people um you know i mean i don't particularly love course fishing but i don't sort of go on the anglers world website and just hammer them about how much i don't like course fishing so i've always thought it was a bit strange that if you don't really like it why would you sort of tune in and then find the time and energy to just hammer it over and over again but um such is the way of the world at the moment okay so just let's finish this uh, with a with a one word answer in 2022 will the racing league be back Yes. Well, thanks to all my guests today. Jane Mangan is still with me. Jane, I wanted to ask you a little about uh, Shantou, who's a, a horse who, who died yesterday at a, a pretty grand old age and the contribution he'd made to racing and breeding. Just tell me a little about him. Well, Shantou was uh, one of the golden age of stallions in Ireland. Um, I wasn't... I was born 1993 giving away my age but there was a, a group of horses in John Gosden's around 1992-1993 and they consisted of Fleming's first presenting Istabrak and Shantou and what an influence the four I know Istabrak wasn't a stallion but he still had his own influence what an influence those four had on national hunt breeding Shantou in particular he was like Fleming's for bio-alleged not over big, but really tenacious. There, his progeny had this will to win and guts and a bit of zeal about them that made them really, really hard to pass. The storyteller, Ballynagore, Death Duty, Briar Hill in particular, I think, he was he was a star horse for this stallion. More recently, Ashdale Bob, Shanblue and Pencil Full of Lead, but he was one of those horses that in, in jumping in particular, everything is about size and you, you, you need, almost need a show horse at the sales nowadays. Well, Shantou was the Dubawi of the jumping game because they weren't over big, but by God, were they tough. And he's a huge loss for Victor Connolly, but he has an able deputy. I've been watching Sea Moon and his progression, and this season with his four-year-olds, he has hit the ground running. I'm sure they'll be disappointed, and you know they'll, that stable will leave a void, but what a privilege to have a horse like that because they don't come around very often. And we, we often talk about when we're assessing flat race stallions, yes, you want group one winners, but it's that percentage of horses, say, rated above 90 on the flat that a stallion can get that often is a, an indicator as to as to you know, how, how successful they are, how reliable they are. And I think in terms of, of Shantou's overall record, he's got you know, a smattering of household names, but he had a better 
chance than most stallions of giving you a horse, say, over jumps rated north of 130, which would be a rough equivalent. Yes, and you had a better than a 50% chance of having a winner. I think his finishing or his winners to runners is around uh, 55%, which is, you know, in itself a fabulous achievement. But there was a golden age of stallions that have to be replaced now. And as I said, Flemingsford presenting and Shantou amongst them. And they all came from the same quarters. So does John Gosden have another three champion stallions in, in his yard at the moment? It's, I think, a unique uh, feat. And this horse, I was always fearful of riding against one or having a runner against one uh, because they were always... Particularly young horses, he was he was adept at getting he could get you champion bumper horse like Briar Hill. He could get you the long distance chaser like the storyteller. He had he had no chinks in his armor. This horse, he was versatile and he was very well handled by Burgage Stud. And uh, I'm sure they'll be lamenting his loss, but they can take so much pride in what he has achieved. I mean, we we might put a sign up outside John Gosden's stable, John and Thady Gosden's stable, Clarehaven, Clarehaven, home to some of the world's finest national hunt stallions. How do you think that'd go down? I'm sure with Palace Pier and Mishra, if that would go down a storm. <laughs> uh, but I do think it's a, it, it is it is quite unique, and uh, I would take pride in anything like that. So good for them. Now they have been reliable producers of winners over the years. So have you over the twenty months that we've been doing this podcast. So have you got another one for me? I hope I do at Clamel. We're going to go for the 6.45 and no thanks. was a winner at Bellystown last week and I hope they can bring up the double Matthew Smith and Robbie Coblin, Colgan with no thanks in the 6.45. Thanks but no thanks to Jane Mangan. Thanks to all my guests. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.